guys, welcome back to my YouTube channel here. And today I'm going to show off my Fear Street books uh, that I mentioned briefly uh, in my Goosebumps update collection. That I want to show off my Fear Street because they're related because R.L. Stein, the guy who did Goosebumps, also did the Fear Street. And they're kind of aimed more towards teenagers than they are like Goosebumps aimed towards kids. Fear Street is aimed towards teenagers. So uh, I'm going to go through, there's a bunch of different series. There's like there's a lot of Fear Street, 99 Fear Street, the Saga, all this stuff. So let's go through. I'm just going to show you the ones that I have. And if I ever get any more, I will get, I'll show you in a future update. So, in the original run, we have Truth or Dare, The Cheater, The New Boy. Some of these books, uh, or the covers are kind of generic, but uh, some of them are pretty cool. The Thrill Club. I've actually never read any of these. The Prom Queen. The Secret Bedroom. Face. Now this is one I'm getting ready to read. I actually really enjoy um, trying to go through and read a bunch of them. Um, well, I've read a bunch of Goosebumps recently, so now I'm going to try to start reading some Fear uh, Streets as well. This is the first one I'm going to try to read. Face. Uh, we also have Switched. What Holly Heard. The Surprise Party. Ski Weekend. And One Evil Summer. Now that's it for the original run series, but there's also 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, and I have volume 3 called The, uh, the Third Horror. There's also one called The Fear Street Saga, Where the Terror Began, and I have volume 3 of that one as well called The Burning. And aside from that, there is another series called Fear Street Super Chillers, and I have Broken Hearts. Bad Moonlight, Silent Night 2, and Silent Night 3. Now these two I'm actually really looking forward to reading this coming winter. Uh, I'm hoping they're pretty good. I, I like Christmas themed horror, so these books should be pretty good. I just need to find all of Silent Night. Uh, that way I can read all of them. Um, that's it. That I, that's all I have for the Fear Street books. Uh, that's there's there's never really any merchandise for it. There was only books made for it. Unlike Goosebumps had like tons and tons of stuff but fear street just had books these are all the ones i have so far so i don't have very many of them because there's tons of them uh but i'm going to try my best to collect as many as i possibly can and when i get more in i will show those off to you in a uh, future update so guys just let me know what you think have you read any of the fear street books do you collect them what what is your thought on rl stein's fear street books don't you ever laugh as the hearse goes by for you may be the next one to die they wrap you up in big white sheets and cover you from head to feet. They put you in a big black box and cover you with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week until your coffin begins to leak. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. The worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose. They eat the jelly between your toes. A big green worm with rolling eyes Crawls in your stomach and out your sides Your stomach turns a slimy green And pus pours out like whipping cream You'll spread it on a slice of bread And that's what you eat when you're dead When I was a kid, I was scared of everything I was a really fearful kid Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you fear-drenched, voracious young adult horror fiction-consuming screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. What a week it's been. Have you seen the news? Totally wild. Anyways, we've got a super special episode for you this week. Sean headed down to Philadelphia last weekend. That's right. Philly. The birthplace of the cheesesteak. The American Constitution. Boys to men. And the third oldest newspaper in the United States of America. While visiting, Sean had the chance to drop by Alex DeCorte's studio to record an episode. It was a damn blast. Let's turn it over to your aforementioned host, Sean J. Patrick Carney.
I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 61 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. How is everybody doing out there? Very well, I hope. I also hope that you enjoyed the bonus episode last week with one of my dearest, dearest buddies, James Alistair Sprang. That was part one of a two-part series that I've decided I'm going to call the Philadelphia Tapes. To me, that sounds very official. And this week's episode is part two. But before I get into all that, I do want to give you all a little heads up about an event this week where you can catch a live episode of Humor in the Abject. Absolutely right now, Painter Ben Dowell, whom I have gushed about on this show before, has a two-person exhibition with the incredible performance artist and, well, artist artist, Kristen Jensen, called Everything Speaks on View at Geary in, uh, in Manhattan, right there in the city, baby, through May 19th. It features new oil works on, as usual, raw as hell canvas by Dowell, and these really, really cool ceramic works uh, that are placed on fabric plinths by Jensen. The whole show is a total knockout. Uh, everything, like materially, is on the verge of collapsing, and somehow it all holds together. It's a really cool pairing for the gallery to be presenting. Um, so this Wednesday, May 9th, you can come out to Geary, located at 185 Varick, just below Houston on the west side, to hear me interview both of them about their show for a new episode of Humor in the Abject. So swing through at 6 p.m. I think we'll get to chatting about 6.30 or so. It's totally free, and everybody's invited. Now to round two of the Philadelphia Tapes. I'm so excited to be sharing this conversation with artist Alex DeCorte. If you are a longtime listener, I doubt very much that I need to tell you who Alex is. But for those of you listeners who are more comedy-oriented and less art-focused, Alex is an amazing sculptor who's based in Philadelphia, and he's been on everybody's radar for years. He works with neon, oddball everyday objects, installation, uh, wallpaper, I think, uh, publishing, photography, video, I mean, you name it. Um, I had the opportunity to meet Alex for the first time in 2014 through our mutual pal, Jason Musson. Um, Alex and Jason had done a collaborative exhibition called Eastern Sports at the ICA in Philly, which also included this uh, just out there score by Dev Hines of Blood Orange. Um, and a bunch of participants in the original Humor in the Abject class at BHQFU and I hopped a bus and did a little day trip to check it out. Alex met us there and just gave us his personal tour of the show and talked about the long-form video piece that he and Jason put together, all the installation elements, and we had such a good time, and I've been such a super fan of his ever since. Um, now, when I knew that I was going to go down to Philly, I shot him a text to see if he might have time to record an episode. I know he's outrageously busy. Um, but he and his awesome studio manager, Kara, set it up and I dropped by over the weekend while he was in the middle of a massive amount of work for an upcoming project that he very specifically told me we weren't going to talk about on the episode, and we didn't. Uh, his studio space is filled with energy. I met some really cool folks there like Ian Bosick, Riley Hansen, um, and both of them were contributors to a recent book Alex made for his show at Karma in New York that was called C.A.T. Spells Murder. Uh, that book also had friends of social malpractice publishing, Al Bedell and Bob Nickus, and like half of my Twitter feed. Um, it, that book was edited uh, by Alex with Sam McInnes. It's fine. I always love the opportunity to visit somebody in their studio space. It's like being invited over to somebody's home. So I want to express my sincere thanks to Alex and his team for being so welcoming to me. Also to Alex for giving me a ride afterwards, uh, especially in the midst of such a wild and, of course, elegant production schedule. As I mentioned on the last episode with James Alistair Sprang, I was using a little portable recording setup down in Philly, and Alex's studio space is huge, so it's a bit reverby, but I think it adds a very cute ambiance to the whole thing. Okay, that's clearly plenty from me. Here's my conversation with Alex DeCorte. Uh, Alex DeCorte, welcome to Humor and the Abject. Thank you for having me over at your studio while I'm here in Philly. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, this is a really a really beautiful space. I think um, people in New York would be extremely jealous of this. Uh, I wanted to kick things off by talking about a recent show of yours, C.A.T. Spells Murder, that you did at Karma in New York City, which I was fortunate enough to get to see. 
And could you talk a little bit about the works that you had in that show and what the motivations were behind them? I think I remember the press release talking about fear being a, a big, a big one in there. So, <laughs> yes. So do I sound like Terry Gross? You do. You yeah. Do. I'm usually I'm, wearing headphones and I'm not yeah, right I know, now. So I'm very feel, serious. Okay. Um, <laughs> for being a show about humor. Um, so that show, it's always hard to talk about a show even when I just did it because sometimes I don't know the answer to why I did the show until like a long time. I yeah. still don't understand what Eastern sports was all about, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I do know that I had originally done a show in Paris at this gallery, like a little gallery in like 2011. And it was sort of on the heels of a project I did where I read all of the Fear Street novels by R.L. Stein. Oh, cool. Yeah. He used to follow me on Twitter. No way. Briefly. It's so cool. And then he stopped. I wrote him and asked him to contribute to this book, and he was like, too busy writing more novels. I can't do it. But he responded. He didn't respond. <laughs> anyway, so I was reading those books because my sister, I was living at home after grad school, and my sister was going through all sorts of like problems you have when you're like in your early 20s. And yeah, yeah. Just like the world sucks. And I was trying to empathize and understand these boy problems. And so I started reading these books, which the Fear Street books are largely about, you know, these women being plagued by these men and plagued by the telephone and plagued by strangers and just kind of these sort of things that haunt suburbia. Was oh was Fear Street? It was kind of like a um, it was for an age bracket just like bumped up, right? Because yes, goosebumps. goosebumps. Yeah, no, got it. it. it no, like, it I remember was, those. It was, it was like sexier. People actually. Yeah, died. yeah, yeah. There was like there was like sort a of lot like of in flirtation. conversation yeah. with Christopher Pike. Yes, yes. It was sort of like the spooky side of Christopher <laughs> Pike. It. Yes, um, and like Sweet Valley High. Yeah, yeah. That whole business. Wait, Christopher Pike is Sweet Valley High. I don't know. I just remember Christopher Pike was like YA horror fiction or scary-ish yeah, this, or something. Well, yes, yes, yes. I so. think so, yeah. And then R.L. Stein was like, I don't just write for babies, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to do this serious <laughs> stuff, but okay. So you're reading these. So I'm reading those, and this was in 2011, and I made this. So then I was thinking, okay, like, how do I, how do I really help my sister? So I decided to dress up like Michael Myers because <laughs> I was living at home, which is in Haddonfield, New Jersey. uh uh-huh. Which is where Halloween was originally set. No shit. I did yeah. not know that. Well, it was the writer. So John Carpenter's wife, um, she wrote the screenplay with John Carpenter, and she was from Haddonfield, New Jersey. Okay. But they set the actual town as Haddonfield, Illinois. Got it. Um, so living in Haddonfield, New Jersey, I decided to dress up like Michael Myers and stalk my family. <laughs> and I thought if I like scare the living hell out of my sister, that'll... like maybe make her wake up and see that her problems aren't so bad because uh-huh. there's someone going to kill her. Who's Were you like consult? Was there any like, did you do like a cursory web search of if that is like a productive? No, I just was like, I was just like kind of doing my thing. I was just feeling like you just got an MFA. Yeah. I was like, I just got, a, I just got an MFA. I'm a motherfucking asshole and I can do what I want. That's like what I was feeling. From Yale, no less. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that did nothing for me. <laughs> I was painting houses right after that and living with my parents mm. at 30 years old. Dressing up like Michael dressing Myers. Dressing up like Michael Myers. So. Did it help her? Um, she was scared, <laughs> for sure. It, it distracted her, I think. I yeah. think it, she stopped thinking about... How long were you stalking your family? Did you do it once? Or was no, this like it was a... a couple times. <laughs> yeah. I, I was doing it for a while. <laughs> okay. And so that resonated with you L- long enough to have a long show about a show fear. About it. Yeah, no. Well, so I so I did this show then called Night Chat mm-hmm. in Paris, like I was saying, which I thought was kind of like a funny play on words. You know, also thinking about black cats. Um, and then years later, meaning now, like so seven years later, I was thinking that this sort of that project needed a sequel, I guess. Um, and that like still in some ways like telephones plague us and Mm -hmm. those kinds of I don't know those little like strings of fear are in our culture and Mm -hmm. we sort of like are dominated by this kind of like fear politicking 
Yeah. You know, um, which I think I was thinking about, like, what is the, what is the shape of fear? And I like in the movie Halloween uh, that Michael Myers' character is never actually called Michael Myers. He's called The Shape. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to, like, understand what is the shape of fear and what, how do we sort of embody fear? Um, and so C.A.T. Spells Murder, which is a kind of byline taken from one of the Fear Street novels called Cat. Got it. That's where it's from. um, Which is sort of a nonsensical line. I thought, well, if C-A-T doesn't actually spell murder, it spells cat. So if fear operates in the same way, what would that look like? Because fear never is what it seems. Yeah. It's not actually, you know, you don't, what is scary is maybe not always so obvious or so present when you encounter it. What about the, the works in the show? There's a lot of neon. You think, uh, you think, is neon ever going to go away? You think that's a, here to stay? Jeez, I hope so. <laughs> Just kidding. I hope so. Everybody I wants to work. Working in neon rules, it's cool. It's so cool. Who, I don't know. People don't really not like it. I just like encountered this really amazing Richard Serro neon work in, um, in Cologne, and I didn't know that he had I didn't made know that at all. Work. I think it was from 1967, and it's so beautiful, and it just says... Well, I, I, I want to remake it, so I won't. Maybe I won't. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Away. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but, you know, I love a replica. Um, but I, I, it was really seductive, and it kind of reminded me of a Joseph Kosuth hmm. neon work. Um, yeah. It was pretty beautiful. I see a lot of neon working at uh, Dia Beacon this oh year. Oh, my God. Lots of so neon. cool. You know, my favorite thing about, well, I guess they're not neons, but um, Dan Flavin pieces is that they're virtually impossible to take a proper selfie in front of which drive people lose their mind isn't that amazing you cannot it's just so the cool. way the light works you can't get the thing you think you're trying to get and people oh, it's, i love it it's really fascinating i, I had it. this neon piece that i wanted to make for a long time that was going to be it was just a text piece and it would have three different states mm-hmm. um it would say robert smith from the cure roberta smith and then robert smithson so when it was turned off, it would say Roberta Smithson, but it would cycle through and just do these three <laughs> names. Uh, but I couldn't afford to make it. So actually, I made a GIF of their three faces, and it said their names cycling, and I put it on the jogging. Oh, of course yeah. you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, emailed it to Roberta Smith. Did she love it? She wrote me back, and she said, thanks. No one's ever made a GIF of me before. That's so cool. I, and I love was like, her so much. Like, Thanks, Roberta. Oh, my God. I love her. I'm going to stick around this game a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, but so the show at Karma 2, one of the really cool elements, which we were just sort of looking at a minute ago, was the book that you put together and edited for it. You, mm-hmm. Did you edit it with Sam McInnes? With Sam McInnes, yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little... I mean, I know the answer, but to somebody who's listening who doesn't, can you talk a little bit about who contributed pieces? Because it's not... Um, it's not their typical writing style, am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think the prompt was to contribute stories in the spirit of R.L. Stein and the spirit of the collected short stories that I grew up with called Scary Stories for the Dark. Or Fuck more, yeah, more dude. Scary stories. What's the illustrator's name for those? Um, was it Schwartz? It was Calvin? Stephen Gamel. Schwartz or something? No, with all the like, ghoulish like, skeletons and that stuff. That shit, that's like a... That's like some real... Life-changing thing. For it's me. amazing. Yeah, that yeah. stuff was so cool. I still remember the like. It was like a leg bone that they it made kind a of soup out of. Reminded me of like O. Henry tales or like. Um, oh, I thought you meant the candy bar. No, the, like <laughs> the, the like the short stories that like always had kind of like a, a catch, like a twist. Yeah, sort of like yeah. Hitchcock. I mean the yeah. same thing, and that's like what those were. But and they're you know for ca- like camping, I guess, and like just being scared, you know, in the woods. Yeah. Which is what we did when we were growing up. Yeah. I Man, did you... We'll get back to the book in just a second, but I feel like I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast episode. If I have, I'm apologizing to people who listen all the time, but did you ever hear that the one story about like the the dog that like slept next to the kid's bed, and the kid would... like The kid was scared at nighttime and would put their hand down. Oh, God. And the dog would lick their hand, and the kid would be like, oh, okay, safe. Dog's here. Go back to sleep. And then one morning, the kid woke up and went in the bathroom. 
I don't even, this, is even, this is even like a scary story. It's just a horrible thing. But goes into the bathroom and the uh, pulls back the shower curtain and the dog has been gutted and is hanging from like the shower head and in its blood written on the wall is humans can lick too. Oh my <laughs> fucking God. No. That's like, so there's some up. weird no. man who wants to kill dogs who also lays next to this kid's bed the oh night of God. and licks the hand. That's kind of like the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights situation. What's that? Oh, you know that like urban legend about. Oh God. I don't even remember. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what the, the arc of the story is, although. The big reveal is that written in blood on the wall is, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? But I do know that it was recreated. This was like a story that was, I think it was pulled from the Scary Stories book. Okay. And then it was recreated for that movie, Urban Legend, with Tara oh, Reid. Oh, yeah. From like 1998. Wow. Yeah, though, ooh, there was a nice little window in there. There's the... Rebecca Gayhart, I think, was in a... Scream. There was... I Know What You Did Last Time. There was this little mini Mm -hmm. kind of renaissance. But they were like, I guess, well, maybe just Scream, but it was like meta-aware of its own tropes. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I was in, I guess, in high school. And, and yeah, it was so exciting because I really thought that Drew Barrymore was going to be the star throughout the whole thing, and that changed my life. They fucking killed her i know like and i 60 seconds to the movie right i know and it's a real heartbreaker i really was going i thought i was going to see a drew barrymore movie god because <laughs> she's cool yeah and who was nev campbell i mean i wasn't like i, I didn't mm. know anything about party of five or any of that nonsense. oh she was on that yeah she was on that and then there was kind of and then she did wild things oh, and i yeah. feel like that was was that maybe it that was the last time she ever acted but who are some of the people that you tapped to contribute there's some so, lovely, lovely folks. I know you're not going to... Sam and Al Bedal. Al Bedal. Who we love and Charlie Fox. Have you read Charlie's book? No. Oh, my God. It's so What if good. I lied and said that I did? Uh, and then you were like, what did you think of it? And no, I had to be like, I, I don't do even know what genre it's in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Charlie is this amazing writer um, from London. And he wrote this really amazing book called This Young Monster that they put out on Fitzcarraldo and it's so special and it's just about these kind of famous faces from culture, Diane Arbus and uh, Lee Bowery and Buster Keaton, these kind of interesting characters that are monsters in some way. Cool. It's, you would love it. You would love it. I want to read about Buster Keaton being a monster. That it's sounds so good. Cool so as hell. Good. Also, who else was in the was in this book? Alyssa Bennett. Who are you familiar with her work? I'm not. Alyssa has this great zine series um, called Dead Is Better. Dead is better. Yeah, and she writes about um, kind of famous celebrity deaths and whoa. And she has a way of writing that's extremely funny. <laughs> and she's, yeah, she's one of my favorites. So she contributed to the book and Caitlin Phillips and Sarah Nicole Prickett and mm-hmm. a whole ton of people, Empty Shelves and Bob Nickers. Bobby. Yeah, and Riley Hansen, who's a local writer in Philly, and Ian Bosak, who's a really great poet. Um, Whom I just met yeah, yeah, yeah. here today. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's super great. He and Riley, a, yes, and Riley, met yeah, Ian yeah, and they, Riley. They both, um, they both contributed, and they're, yeah, they're interesting young weirdos. I was asking some pals that I'm in this uh, bunch of art nerds in this like Twitter DM group, and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm heading over to Alex's studio. Does anybody got a question you want me to ask him? And uh, my friend Callie said that she remembered in an interview, she thought she remembered that you said that. The show um, at Karma was pretty much just an excuse to get to do this book. Is that? Did you say that? <laughs> I mean, I feel like you already—if you did—you already said it in a different oh, interview. I'm so I'm not blowing up your spot. To them. I probably told that. I probably told that to Karma direct to Sir Brendan Dugan directly. I probably but it's not, But you did the you did the book with Macaron. It's, I mean, are you are you like a are you a, a booky dude? I love into, books. Yeah, that's yeah, all. That's all I really care about. Yeah. So I, I really like, I do, you know, a book is, that's some serious, serious pull there. If you're like, I want to make a book, I will, <laughs> I will make the book. I, I've been making books for as long as I've been making anything. Yeah. Little books that, you know, just any kind of folded piece of paper is a book to me. And I like, I keep 
books all the time. I have thousands of drawing books and little writing books and things and collage books. That's cool. So I think you pass that John Waters test. You know the <laughs> what's that test? You know, like a tote bag from the Strand bookstore that has like a quote from John Waters on it, and oh, it says like, that? "If you go home with someone and they don't have any books on their shelves, don't fuck them. Run away." Yeah, there's <laughs> 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 something about that. But no, I think that's uh, that's really cool. I mean, that's how I got into doing art stuff. I think was definitely through bookmaking uh, in not necessarily in a fancy printmaking sense but zines and stuff it was like a, a thing that you could do it was accessible and seemed like a way to enter but yeah that's really cool it's fun to do a uh, it's fun to do a book with a show I really it's so cool because you know like the show is one experience but like especially for this you know it was so great like they were so accommodating and like you know Sam and I kind of pitched this idea and it seems so far-reaching because there were so many people involved and but they just you know are really efficient and made it happen and so generous and like it's hard to like do all that in like a really short amount of time and yeah. then have it be there for the, like it was really this wild experience where i thought geez how how did this happen but it was really special that it did yeah that's that's so cool i think and karma does they do a decent amount of publishing am i right oh, like man, in yes. general so, right so, so did it much. strike you to do the book because it was with them karma produced um the eastern sports book oh cool yeah yeah, yeah. and nice. the manful of trouble book and um yeah a couple books what is the funniest thing that sam mckinnis has ever done around you oh my god <laughs> what is like sam for fucking president <laughs> i guess i can't even i, can, I don't even know when sam wrote his that. he wrote like a, i love that man <laughs> he wrote so much I can't remember what they're called. It's maybe for like art news or something. I think Al Badal did one too, but it's oh like a, it's like I a my week. It's like a my week thing. The fact that I was mentioned at being as being at dinner, because uh, there were some people that were at the dinner that were not mentioned. Like when Ooh, Sam said, <clears throat> Andrew McGinty and I were just like, oh my god, Sam brought us. He mentioned us in the no. <laughs> Just that he says it's fine. It's really he always says it's fine. But it like it sort of like levels you out because when I call Sam and I'm like in just total (laughs) mania, you know, like just being myself, and he's like, it's fine. And then as soon as you hear that, it just is fine, and you're like, oh my god, someone slap me. He fucking one time he tweeted something to the effect of if you're not supporting the arts get the fuck out of my way or something like that was like the funniest shit. oh my god I need to start to, I need to be on Twitter just to you don't even need to join it you can just go look it. at his timeline okay maybe I just yeah that. just go to twitter.com slash weekend party update with no vowels in weekend I oh, think is his you know that handle we have been pen pals for like over 10 years really oh yeah it's how really did you meet Sam I think we met on like MySpace or Friendster cool yeah and we started sending letters to each other in like I want to say like 2006 or 7 that's cool as and, hell and you know I think he'd like send me letters that were like written in blood it was so cool <laughs> Um, and my mom and dad, because I was like living at home at the time, were like, "Who is this fucking person? Like, why is it like sealed with like a wax stamp?" Like, I was like, "Oh, he's old time. How baroque, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just old time, sealed with wax." The idea of Sam, like, uh, I don't. I'm sure there's an, a word for this, but when you impress into the wax with like a ring or something, mm-hmm. it's the image of him doing that is. <laughs> it's, it's it's he's never not doing that. Oh my god. Um, well, you've referenced it a couple times, so I wanted to ask you about uh, the Eastern Sports Project, because that was actually when we met, was I brought my class down here to see the show, to Philly, and um, you did a really wonderful and generous walkthrough of the show with us. Um, and that was, do you work collaboratively often, or was that kind of a, a different approach for you? Well... I work collaboratively. I, I kind of have always worked collaboratively. Um, Good answer. Just always. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, I, like I, there's so many people in the world, and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, you're never not working collaboratively. <laughs> I think um, the way that that was structured was, like, really particular because in a funny way, like, you know, I was working with a whole group of people to make all the videos and the sets and the costumes and all that stuff and you know Jason and I like Jason Musson and myself 
were asked to do this by the ICA sort of as a prompt um, to work outside of our comfort zone. And at the time, I was making sculptures and only had made like one video or two videos. And Jason was primar primarily working with painting at the time and like, uh, like fibers. With some really big quotation marks around painting. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think there was any paint involved, but, you know, things <laughs> on the wall. And they were like, Jason, you should just, like, be writing, like, the way that your Black Like Me series yeah. was. And oh, he loves writing, man. I think that was best. a cool vehicle for him. He's, like, one of the funniest fucking people. His oh, my God, I remember his undergrad show, and he had these big Xeroxes. It was, like, the, the Pack rats of Rats stuff, series. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, and he was in photo at the time, and everyone was like, what is this? This isn't photographs. <laughs> but he was like, these are just big Xeroxes from Kinko's, you know? Yeah. And they were so amazing, and they, like, blew everyone away. He, We did a talk together at Cooper Union, like, a year ago, mm -hmm. and he was showing those, and they're still just, the kids are losing their shit. It's I mean, and that's, fucking, like... I mean, beware of men with beards. Yeah. It's like, it's but that's, like, that's nuts, though, that you, I mean, it's so hard to do something that is laugh out loud funny 10 years later to a more, completely more surprised audience years. of people I mean, that yeah that was like was it 15 years ago it was god 2003 or four was it? whoa yeah yeah it was a while and ago. then when he sent me when we did when i put out black like me which he had done a zine of it previously but it was in the the weekly here in philly right mm -hmm. the, like city paper or yeah the alt paper yeah um <clears throat> and when he sent me those, he was like, yeah, I got them somewhere. I got to dig them up. They're like, he just sent me this like batch of Microsoft Word files and I opened it and I was just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like they were the funniest things I've, I'd ever read, I think. And I was just, he's such a, it was a cool thing for Eastern sports to have him be able to write, I think so much. Cause it was, how long was the video? It's like two and a, two half, and hours, a half hours, right? Yeah. And so it was really a lot, of, a lot of tent, a lot of content. Oh my God. So much tent. <laughs> it was really, um, really, yeah, it was nuts. And like, I don't know that project. I always think about because it was like so extremely weird and I still don't even know what it was. It was just like yeah. kind of a weird thing. I like that you will say that though. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people can't come to terms with is like not, necessarily fully understanding what it is that they're doing but feeling compelled to do it anyways i feel like if you know what you're doing it's a, a, like then you shouldn't do it yeah it's like uh what's his name eddie van halen playing the guitar like he just he knows what he, he shouldn't play the guitar he's bad no, we need he's to be talking so, about like kim deal or something he's so good at it that it makes it sucks like it's unlistenable yeah. based on his I mean, virtuosity yeah. I, I veto I veto <laughs> but Jason's project and our project along with Dev Hines was because Dev did the music right Dev, Dev did the music um, was just so important to me and it's something that I go back to all the time because because of this kind of triangulation where it was really free there was no real end or point that like was driving it home it was really open and had lots of points and had lots of propositions and so i go i think about that a lot yeah it was a and that th that was the piece that was when the whitney did that show about immersive film and stuff mm -hmm. that piece was in that right yes yeah um what was the i don't think i have even i don't think i've actually seen the book for eastern sports what oh, wow. is it like plates from the video and Jason's text or yeah. how did that yeah it's just all the plates from the video and then all of his text yeah that was such a cool environment I remember I brought I think maybe like a dozen students or something came down it was really great and we came and people <clears throat> I've never seen people watch video art for that long I mean they I were like watch video art they were Ever. super happy to chill. Well, you put a nice carpet in there and there were orange peels if I'm remembering correctly like it smelled orange, nice yeah. it was like it was an environment to chill in and like take it in. But it's really hard, though. I think video is hard because it's it's so similar to the experience of going to a movie, yeah. of course, or like watching TV. And yeah. Sometimes those things happen in a real s slow way. You know, you, you're going to a theater and you know what you're getting into, mm -hmm. and there's you know narrative and a kind of linear way about a film that is comforting but it's hard to accept that when you're going to a museum and then all, lo and behold you have a video to take in it can be challenging for some yeah. people I understand the difficulty of sitting through a video 
when surprise you there's, just stumbled into a room with a video for two hours, you know. Yeah, there's such a social aspect to it, too. In that, I become hyper aware of me being a viewer. That I, I don't feel the same way when I'm looking at a painting or a photograph or a sculpture. Like, or when you're I'll, in a movie, I'll look theater. at it. I'll, no, not at all. No, just in the movie in the theater, dark. I don't yeah. give a shit what anybody thinks. But <clears throat> yeah, if I go into, let's say, the new museum, and there's a room that's black boxed. And there's a little bench in there, and I walk in. Um, I'm very cognizant of if there are other people, and like, am I spending enough time? Like, there are all totally, of these other things that come totally, into it that totally. are really different. But yeah, I, don't, I mean, I've, I've been kind of into a bunch of younger artists that I know have been doing proper video screenings at theaters, oh, wow. which is great. I mean, you go and it's 60 minutes, 90 minutes long. And, you know, of course you end up, you see like 30 different works, but it happens in such succession and you're in this comfortable seat and you can, depending on the theater, maybe you can get a beer or whatever, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. uh, it's something that I feel like maybe art probably pushed against for a long time, which was the relationship to cinema or the like entertainment factor and just being like, these are videos. It's funner to watch them in a chill environment. <laughs> like, it's funner to watch them on carpet. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Sure. You want to be able to sit down and relax. Um, yeah. how, wait, so I didn't actually realize. So the, did the museum just reach out and was like, you two are like Philly's golden boys. Do you want to do, no, how did, no, when you it, say that was, they no, gave it, you prompts, how well, did that? I, I think I was like talking shit at Jason's opening. I, I, no, I don't think I know I was talking shit at Jason's opening about painting. And uh-huh. I was like, painting is just, you know, a no, no. Yeah. And I remember the amazing Amy, Amy Sadal, who is the director, um, at the ICA was like, you know, you might not like these paintings, but, or, you know, you might not think that Jason should be painting and that he should be writing, but mm-hmm. you know, he has a sold out show. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. No, not, he, uh, <laughs> not doing that, you know, like, and this was in like 2012 or so. And I was like, wow, I've got nothing on Jason. Was that hit? Was cool. Is that a dirt bike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw a couple on the way over yeah, yeah. is, um, Wait, was that like his Salon 94 like debut? No, no, it was this amazing show he did at Fleischer Ullman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this was like, I want to say 2012 or something, or this is how I they remember it. They have a it. Portland thing. Oh, or yeah, they moved do. to Portland. Adams in Ullman. Yeah, Amy I met Adams. that lady. She was really nice. Amy Adams. I met her at Anada. Totally lovely. Not the she actor, great Amy hair. Adams. A different Amy Adams. Yeah, curly, great hair. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to Amy Sadow and then I think she like kind of just was like oh this is funny like this like two because we're old friends like just kind of jabbing at each other and I think she sort of had it cooking in her brain and she reached out to Kate Kratzen who is a curator at the ICA and and you know kind of was talking about the possibility of us working together and then Kate you know approached us and said work in this way that's sort of against your you know out of your comfort zone and we were like that's amazing totally yeah because the ICA is like such a special place and I think at the time there was a really great Jason Rhodes show Mm -hmm. that was there oh yeah retrospective Yeah. yeah and I remember she like hadn't been explicit about us even working together in any kind of fashion but just wanted to have a meeting and took us to the ICA and we didn't know what to expect and she took us to this, that amazing room with all the the neon pieces that were hanging and said you know make something for this space in That's a year cool as hell and yeah. then did you i guess jason probably just knew dev no, no no actually um he was just like every other kid in bushwick who had sex to that album that summer uh, <laughs> there was like no that was like the that blood orange album was like oh my god it's fucked up it's so oh my god Everybody I know, I think, had sex to that record. Oh, so cool. Like, I have not, just... but I should. Well, it bangs, man. You know, it bangs. It or bangs. as, or as the kids say, it slaps. Totally oh, slaps. Wow. Sam McKenna says it fucks, <laughs> which I think is fine. Yeah, I, I've seen him saying that. That's... <laughs> um, but so you guys just like hit Dev up, and you were no, like, "We like what you're I doing." I hadn't met Dev, so I, I think. It was actually wild because we had about like a year or like 13 months to work on it. 
and we were both kind of doing a bunch of stuff and so I we just really didn't get around to it until you know maybe five months ahead of the show yeah because it fall 2014 right that's when it was yeah September it was September September 2014 yeah Yeah. fuck that's like four years ago almost yeah 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 it's weird fast (laughs) and and I think that spring I had had a show in um in London and Dev saw it and we were introduced sort of via email and then by a friend of ours named Phoebe and then we just met up and I asked him to contribute to this video that I didn't know what it would be but that I'd love for him to work on it and he said yes wow and then he you know it was amazing he came down to Philly and I think he made the entire score in in two days (laughs) probably like five hours wow it was amazing Je voudrais cette sphère rose. Celle-ci? Oui, celle-ci. Yeah, Dev is Dev is super sweet. And you guys did a Gap commercial? Is that right? <laughs> we did. Yes, we did. I made a music video for one of his songs that uh-huh. actually was used for Gap, but it was a music video for a song from Cupid Deluxe. Wow. That's crazy. I'm Captain Obey. I mean, I grew up with gap ads, and yeah. so when Dev asked me, I just was like, like the white background and like the person in khakis or something. No, I'm like trying Missy to remember. Elliot and like LL Cool J like on gap ads. Are you Whoa, they me? were. Yes, and that like changed my. life. I didn't know that. Yes, that's the reason that I probably make videos, and I Holy still just shit. copy those. Whoa, like, I know what I'm looking at on YouTube. Tonight. They're amazing, and they were just so simple. There was like the whole um, maybe pitch my was m- fall into the gap. That's crazy. I didn't fucking know that. That's yeah. cool. I gotta yeah, check I that mean, out. That was sort of like a big, you know, like visual fetish. Yeah, yeah. For me, um, because I just, I love that it was so flat and kind of, yeah, like, you know, sort of like Hype Williams, and I just loved it. And so when they said that, I was like, I'm only doing this video if there's the the Gap logo at the end. Like, I won't do it if there's not that big fucking blue square. I okay. need that. And they were like, okay, sure, you weirdo. <laughs> it's fine. I was doing some stuff before we were going to do this talk, and I read uh, Brian Drakor, who I mentioned earlier, who's also mm-hmm. my editor at Art in America. Um, he wrote maybe like a review or something of Eastern sports a bit ago, and I thought that something, because I make fun of sculpture just fucking constantly. Like, I think sculpture is the funniest shit in the world, and you can just glue two things together and put it on the floor, and you've change the context because it's the new frontier sculpture can be anything it's hilarious but painting has to have be a thing and video is clearly a thing yeah yeah sculpture is everything else yeah uh he said like so many sculptors now he aggregates ready-mades but unlike most who thread their jumble with an inscrutable network of references he delights in the abstraction of detail and I think that's such a nice turn of phrase, and I've been trying to figure out what the fuck he's saying. For abstraction of detail. An abstraction of detail. So I'm wondering if it's like... I mean, you use stuff that's sort of like ready-made, but not in the way that I think... Like, you might use slats or something that would be used in a, in a mm-hmm. uh, retail store, like yeah. the slat wall or something. But, yeah. I mean, what do you... I kind of wanted to ask you about that, because I was reading it, and I thought it was such a... I was like, yes, I agree with that. And then I thought about it. And I was like, oh, wait, fuck. I don't know what that means. I, I have things that are plastic. You know, they're, I'm not like molding or I'm not casting like plastic things like broom handles and stuff in sure. my studio. But I think what I'm doing is taking these things that I buy from stores and then just cutting, cutting out like the labels or cutting out the parts that are like recognizable maybe yeah, or yeah. like just on the edge of being recognizable so i paint out labels or or just kind of mask them so they have no function anymore so they're kind of familiar but oh actually that maybe so they're just kind of like they're more like objects you'd find in a dream yeah yeah no that actually and now that makes and you want to eat a sandwich but you just can't eat it Uh because it's sort of like the forms there but you just like there's no eating in in dreams Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that i think with these whoa fuck is that a thing think 
I mean, I can't eat. I've never eaten in a dream. Whoa. But you can eat in dreams. What the fuck? I've never thought about that before. It just doesn't work out. You can't. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, I don't think I've ever eaten in a dream. I mean, we could ask everyone else, but for but between the two of us, we haven't eaten. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a this is a fine sample size for my <laughs> statistics. Um, but no, actually, now that you sort of said that, what Brian wrote does indeed actually make sense because it's... Uh, hmm. Okay. So I mentioned, like, the jogging earlier, but there was this, like... There was, I think, uh, a moment in sculpture and certainly still probably like a hangover of it now that people are dealing with. But this kind of like very matter of fact about the thingness of the thing and also the brand of the brand. And that was not like instead of removing it, it was like, no, this is very specifically a Nike shoe Mm -hmm. sitting in a house plant um, or something like that. And it was about those kinds of things. But um but yeah, if you abstract some of those details a little bit, if you remove some of the stuff, then you do end up with something that is perhaps, uh, I guess, a little bit, like you said, like dreamlike or maybe uncanny. Like you know it, but you don't, you can't exactly place it, mm-hmm. like to remove that kind of stuff. But um, I think for like all the, the sculptures, say like this, because I feel like if Brian reviewed or wrote about Eastern sports, I, I don't really make sculpture. I just make bongs. Bongs? Yeah, like to smoke weed out of. <laughs> you know, like I don't think that there's like, there like sculpture is a funny word, but I think bongs are like a word that everyone can understand. Uh huh. And so, like, if you put a bunch of stuff together, typically the stuff that I put together, like, it's a bunch of disparate plastic things, mm-hmm. but formally. And sometimes, purposefully, they they work as bongs. What? Are you fucking with me? I'm not fucking with you. <laughs> What's going on? No, because I used to think when I was, like, in school, I was, like... I tried to make a bong in school, in ceramics. Oh, see, no, I don't know. No, that's, like, too much. I didn't glaze the inside of it, though. And I think that's why my teacher let me go through the whole thing, because she knew I would just ruin it as soon as I poured water in it. And it just, like, cracked. Oh, yeah, I just destroyed it. It was, like, a piece of shit ceramic. <laughs> I remember that the first time I smoked weed, my brother made a bong out of a rubber duck that was like stuck in like our cool. backyard garden. Yeah. Like, or not a rubber duck. It was like a plastic <laughs> duck, you know, like a yellow plastic <laughs> duck. And he cut off the beak and, you know, put a hole in the tail. And then there you have a bong. Yeah. It's kind of like making a bong out of an apple. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that was like a really important moment for me because I just thought like I don't know what sculpture is because I can't relate to Richard Serra I can't relate to right. like, these kind of broy macho things I hate wood shops I hate doing anything that involves like power tools because I think mm-hmm. it's stupid and so do you say you think it's stupid I do I think it's completely <laughs> stupid and I think like flexing that knowledge like, yeah, yeah. in order to like you know well, it's like why don't you build a house motherfucker exactly. like if you can do that build stop me a house <laughs> I can smoke weed in. Yeah. And, and so I started thinking, like, well, I'm going to school for sculpture. I didn't go to school for sculpture until graduate school. And at that time, I was, like, making all sorts of... I was, I don't know, going up to strangers and asking them to do weird things for me. And when I got there and they were like, you have to, like, make sculpture, you know, and here's a wood shop. I just was, like, in my studio with all my, like, plastic toys and yeah. essentially just making bongs. <laughs> and I thought, you know, a bong is, like is like sort of like an every person sort of like the yeah. Americana sculpture because you it has urgency it gives you something which is like gets you high and I wanted to like always make stuff with the urgency that it would give me the kind of rush that drugs do and or that the like when you're chasing after something like drugs you make without thinking hmm. you just kind of do it and you're like just thinking about form you know, because it has to function. It's like this thing has to, like the smoke has to go here, the weeds yeah. go there, and it has to function. And so I always wanted to be making things with that sort of urgency. Um, I don't do drugs, but I liked that idea. I mean, I used to smoke mad weed, but now not so much. And it, it's nice to think about sculpture in that way, where it has like a real purpose. And Yeah, yeah. Or and it can it, push you into anything that's sort of like... I mean, and it's what artists talk a lot of shit about all the time which is like I'm, I'm i'm making something that causes you to kind of just like see differently or to think or it's going to change up your day or something but 
but you actually can you can legitimately do that with like installation techniques and different types of lighting or different textures or color palettes and things like that you really can give somebody a feeling like they're a little bit stoned and that's right and then it and then it becomes um then it becomes sort of functional which makes it not art i guess no i don't know but uh no that's funny i mean i think about like your installations and going into uh different pieces in the way that you're really i think particular about the lighting the way that everything kind of comes together it does create that kind of like threshold moment where when you step into it you're very hyper conscious of being in it that isn't necessarily dissimilar from the moment when you rip a bong <laughs> and then you exhale and you're kind of like okay okay oh oh mm-hmm, yep there but there's like that transitional period or something i think that's a that's a cool way to think yes all i used to say all sculpture was steampunk but now i think all sculpture is bongs all sculpture Good. is hot time We're, we're nearing the end here, and before we go, though, I wanted to, if you'll humor me with, um, sometimes I like to play a little game with the guests. I always make a new game for the different people, and uh, for you, I thought, if you're down, we could play a game that's called Theorize Me a Sculpture Right Now. Oh, and, my God. And so what I, what I would do is I will give you a list of three items, um, and then you can just tell me what really quickly like what might you do to turn them into a sculpture okay like what that what sort totally of great. little thing would you do okay <laughs> so the first one um and these are just for you i haven't done this with anybody else this is a, a philadelphia eagles throw pillow okay neon orange ratchet straps okay and uh, i know you're not online that much but a printed out image of this meme that is tweety bird and on it, it says in like sparkle letters, uh, call the cops, bitch. I'll have sex with them. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I imagine. So ratchet. Okay, I imagine. Um, can I go to the mall for this? Yeah. You can. Oh, you can add other things. You okay, can do whatever great, you want. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to the, I'm going to go to the mall and I'm going to get, um, I guess a t-shirt printed out of that meme because like, I like, I like, you know, wearing things. Yeah. So I'm going to wear this t-shirt and I'm going to strap the pillow the throw pillow to my body with the ratchet straps and I'm just going to throw myself down the stairs. Oh, yeah, like a stunt. Uh, I guess like a sculpture. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, the next one is a champagne-colored 1988 Honda Accord LXI sedan. So that's when the uh, flip lights on the mm-hmm. front. Love those. Um, approximately 100 square yards of AstroTurf mm-hmm. uh, and an old sawmill from the Pacific Northwest that is actually, it's currently on fire. Hmm. It'll continue to burn in perpetuity. Like it won't okay, burn okay, up, okay, but okay, it's okay. always in a state of, it's engulfed in flames. Okay. Immobile, right? I mean, you could, you can, you can move it. You can airlift it or, or take it some other place, or you could use it as the site for the piece. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd get in the car and drive the fuck away. <laughs> And just the turf is just... That's, that's just like the tracks. I guess it's space between. Oh, you make a road yeah. with the turf. Yeah, and then just drive away. <laughs> that would be beautiful. If you could do like a really I want symmetrical... I just want that car. I used to have that car. That's, that's why I put so it down. Cool. It's one of the only cars Maybe I've ever... I would f- film. <laughs> yeah. If you shot it really symmetrical and you just drove straight towards it with like a burning thing in the camera pet, yeah, like a, that would, that would so a good cool. GoPro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a GoPro. I've never used one of those. Yeah. Okay, uh, a full set of bocce balls, one metric ton of sand, and a fully animatronic robot. Like, think like Jordan Wolfson, but an animatronic robot. But it's of Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack in Titanic. And he's floating, you know, at the end when he's floating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's floating on an... He's an animatronic Jack, but he's floating on an actual piece of the Titanic. Oh, wow. Um, in an above-ground swimming pool. So okay, that's sort okay, of, okay. that alone is a really beautiful object, but you've also got um, a metric ton of sand and some bocce balls. Okay, 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 okay. Um, these are all like performances. They're not really a sculpture, but I guess like, what you know, like, because I'm thinking like maybe I would just, I'd be in a sailor suit. Um, of course. Obviously. And I would be pretending like the bocce balls were, um, you know, life vests for the animatronic Jack, and I'd just be throwing them at him. 
but I keep hitting it, uh-huh. you know, like a little bit because I'm like not really good at throwing or catching. Um, but in an attempt to throw these inflatables, but they're bocce balls, to Jack, it would hit and spark, and then he would sink. Oh, he'd catch on fire. Oh, maybe. In the sand? Well, the sand's around, the sand is sort of like around the pool. Oh, like a, oh, that's cool, and it'll be like a, yeah, it could create like a... Well, I'm standing on the sand. I'm also like low oh, with the, the pool. So I got sort of it. Like no, light. I'm, this is coming very, this, crisp, is, like this is crystal clear, yeah. No, I got it. Okay, last one. Um, a wax sculpture of Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh that doesn't quite manage to capture his likeness. So kind of like those Madame Tussauds ones that aren't that great. Um, 13 copies of the poorly received, critically, uh, I thought it was good, uh, Led Zeppelin album Coda on vinyl. 13 copies of that uh, in a signed photo, made out personalized, made out to you, Alex, uh, from celebrity chef Guy Fieri. Fieri? Oh. <laughs> Fieri. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this just reminds me of stuff to start a fire with. Um, Ooh. But the wax, we would... Um, could we just do like a, a like a better version of one of those Urs Fisher sculptures? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like melt down Christopher? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. You could also do some... Yeah, you could do some encaustic work if you wanted. Oh, wow. One time there was... We a, should just give all this like melted wax to Sam so he could write me more letters. Oh, to close him up? Yeah. I feel like that would be nice, right? I have to tell you something about wax. Painting? <laughs> I got this car. Like It was the first car I bought. And I... There was like a, I was at a like a barbecue and there was this really funny candle that was at the barbecue that had slumped over and it was like kind of cartoony and mm-hmm. sort of in this funny shape. And I think I named it like Janet or something. Janet. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is Janet. Janet's like really funny. And she was like in the top of a, like a wine bottle. And I was like, I'm going to just take Janet home because this is like a really beautiful, weird thing. And it was in the summer. And I put Janet in my car and left her there overnight and it was the summer and there was a candle in my car and so I when I woke up there was wax (laughs) melted all over the seat of my car Uh. and it was on the driver's side and so now every time it gets hot um so like we're approaching you know the season of heat you get a Um, scent Oh, no, 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 no. My ass just gets, like, oily from the wax <laughs> that, like, re... re, re oh, yeah. like, it, le- it looks like somebody... It probably looks like somebody dumped olive oil on it, but it's, like, perpetually wet. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, That's insane. God. So then I have to kind of drive in this, like, sort of awkward position where yeah. I'm avoiding the wax. Wax um, is gnarly how much it can fuck stuff up. And this was, like, eight years ago. <laughs> so uh, it's still there. Janet. That's, that's why you have to get a 1988... Honda Accord LXI with flip things in the front. Trust me, you'll never spill wax in that car. Um, well, Alex, thank you so much for doing this episode. Thanks for having me over to the studio. It's a beautiful space. Excited for the new work that you're doing, which we're not talking about per your request, Knox. <laughs> but uh, thanks very much. Um, wonderful to see you and to everybody listening. Thanks as always, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.